right, well, you're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 20. Uh, keep your place there, but I'd like you to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter number 3. Uh, you're there in chapter 20. Just turn back, same book, just to chapter 3. And last week, uh, I told you that I was going to be preaching tonight on the subject of the life of Joab. And Joab has been a character that we've been uh, dealing with all throughout, basically, the series in First and Second Samuel with David here. And uh, there's been a lot that I've said about Joab, but I haven't really dealt with him as an individual. And I kind of wanted to go back and just hit all the highlights of Joab, everything I've kind of been ignoring because I knew there was this one sermon coming, and I think it's climaxing here. Even though there's more in the life of Joab, this is kind of the, the, the big events that happen here. And what I want you to understand about Joab is that Joab is a man that is out of control. Uh, Joab is basically... Uh, not submitting unto the authority of, of David. And there's a couple of reasons for that, and I wanted to just highlight those for you tonight and make brief application, and we'll move on. Uh, you're there in 2 Samuel chapter 3. Look down at verse number 20. I want you to notice, I'm just going to show you some examples in regards to Joab just being out of control. And here we see the first thing he does that really shows us he's out of control by taking the life of a man named Abner. If you've been with us uh, for the first and second Samuel series, you're probably... Remember who Abner is, but we'll, we'll look at it together. Second Samuel chapter 3, look at verse 20. So Abner came to David to Hebron, and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. Now Abner, if you remember, was the general or the captain of the host for Saul. Saul was the king. Abner was the general. He was leading the armies. Uh, even when Saul was persecuting David and chasing David and hunting down David, now in 2 Samuel chapter 3, we have David is now king. Saul is dead. And Abner basically comes to David and he wants to join the side of David. He wants to join David and, and ally himself with David. Look at verse 21. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, referring to, to David. He's saying, I've got influence in the nation of Israel. I've been the, 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 the general uh, in, in Israel. And I will go and I'll gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And notice David sent Abner away. And here's the key. He sent Abner away and he went in peace. So I want you to understand that David accepted Abner as a companion. He said, you know what? Let's let bygones be bygones, and you can join our side, and you'll help unite the kingdom. Look at verse 22. And behold, the servants... Uh, I'm sorry, verse number... Uh, yeah, verse 22. And behold, the servants of David and Joab... Uh, I'm sorry. Behold, the servants of David and Joab from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away... Uh, and he was gone in peace. So Joab wasn't there when Abner came to visit. But when Joab gets there, they tell him, hey, Abner came and David sent him in peace. Look at verse 23. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he hath sent him away, and he is gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king. Now I want you to notice how Joab comes to the king and said, notice how he, how he speaks to David. What has thou done? Now, that's not really a way for a general to be speaking to the commander-in-chief, right? 
But Joab walks in and he says, uh, he says, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away? And he is quite gone. Thou knowest, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee and to know uh, thy goings out and thy comings in and to know all that thou doest. He said, Abner just came here to check the place out. Abner just came here to see how everything was going and how things were, were, uh, were, were being ran around here. He said, Abner is not your friend. Abner, and, and so Joab disagreed with the decision that David has made to ally himself uh, with, with, with Abner. Look at verse 26. And when Joab was come out from David, so when he left this conversation with David, notice what he does. He sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again to the well of Syrah, but David knew it not. So jo Joab gets, you know, gets back. They tell, hey, Abner was here. He goes to David. He says, what are you doing? I don't think this is a good idea. And then he leaves David, and then he sends messengers. But David knew it not. He sends messengers to go call Abner and to bring him back to have a talk with them. Look down at verse number 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him under the fifth rib that he died. Now, here's why he did it. For the blood of Asahel, his brother. Now, we don't have time to go back and, and look at that story. But if you remember back when Saul was still alive and when Abner was leading the military forces of Saul... They were fighting with David, and Joab was the one leading that, that military campaign, and there was a battle. There was a battle that happened between the men of David and the men of Saul, and Joab had a brother by the name of Asahel. The Bible says he was as light, he was a, a light foot, and he was fast, and he basically takes off running after Joab, because Joab is losing the, uh, the, I'm sorry, not Joab, Abner is losing the battle. He takes off running after Abner, and Abner is telling Asahel, he's telling him, hey, quit, quit chasing me. I don't want to have to kill you. And he gives him several chances. He said, turn aside. He said, go grab that armor. Go grab, you know, go do this. Go do that. I don't want to have to fight you. I don't want to have to kill you. He even tells, Abner tells Asahel, he said, how will I look your brother in the face if I have to kill you? But Asahel will not listen. Asahel will not stop. And Joab ends up killing Asahel. Now, here's what you need to understand. Joab killed Asahel in battle. They were both two militaries going to fight. And even in battle, Abner was being very kind. He was saying, I don't want to have to kill you. I don't want to have to fight you. I don't want to have to answer to your, to your brother Joab. But he would not quit. So Abner ended up killing the brother of Joab. Here we now see, if you look at verse 27, last part of verse 27, the Bible says that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. See, Abner was not really concerned that, uh, um, Joab was not really concerned that Abner was there to spy out the land or to trick David. The reason that Joab killed Abner was for revenge against his brother. But here's the, here's the, the issue. When Joab killed Abner, he killed him in peace. Abner had already came to the side of David. There was not a fight. I mean, this is the difference between fighting in battle and just cold-blooded murder. He calls him. He's now part of the team. He has him called. They say, hey, we're, we, we heard you're part of the team now. We heard you're, you're, you're on our side now. You know, Joab, the general, wants to have a talk with you. And when Abner comes to talk, uh, Joab takes him aside. And he, uh, the Bible says that he smote him under the fifth rib that he died. And he did it as revenge. And it's cold-blooded murder. Look at verse 28. And after, when David heard it, he said, notice what David says, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord. He said, I, I had nothing to do with this forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, lest it rest on the head, let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house and let them not fail from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue or that is a leper or that leatheneth on a staff or that falleth on the sword or that lacketh bread. Notice verse 30. So Joab and Abishai, that's his other brother, 
his brother slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon. Notice the emphasis in the battle. You see that? God is emphasizing, yeah, Abner killed him, but he killed him in the battle. Joab killed Abner, and it was cold-blooded murder. Look at verse 31. And David said to Joab, now here's where David should have just corrected Joab. Here's where David should have said, Joab, you're under arrest. (laughs) We're going to put you to death. You just killed a man. We're not in battle. We're in peace. We've already made an alliance with, with Abner, and you killed him. But notice where David fails. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the, the beer. The beer is the casket there. And, and, and David goes to Abner, uh, to Joab, and he says, we're all going to Abner's funeral. And you're going to go, Joab, and you better mourn. Notice verse 32. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a, as a fool dieth? I want you to notice what David says. He says, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put in fetters. He's saying, you didn't lose in a battle. You weren't taken captive in a battle. He says, as a man falleth before wicked men. He's referring to Joab and his brothers. He said, as a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swore, saying, so do uh, God to me, and more also, if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did uh, uh, pleased all the people. And all the people and all Israel understood that day, notice, that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, that's Joab and his brother, be too hard for me. And the Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. So I want you to understand, David is king, and Joab is just out of control. He, I mean, David did not want Abner put to death. David did not even know that Joab was doing this, yet Joab does it. But here's the thing. Joab never gets corrected. Joab is never corrected by David for the killing of Abner. And you may ask the question, why? Why is Joab never corrected? And I, I, I want to give you the answer. You're there in 2 Samuel. Keep your place there. But go with me to the, fir- the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter number 27. You're there in 2 Samuel. You're going to uh, go past the book of 1 and 2 Kings into the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter number uh, 27. Look at verse 34. 1 Chronicles 27 verse 34. See, Joab was a bad guy. <laughs> But he was good at what he did. In fact, he was the type of guy that just got results. And uh, it caused him to be able to go up the ranks and to receive promotion. You're there in 1 Chronicles 27. Look down at verse number 34. Notice what the Bible says. And after Ahithophel was Jehoiada, the son of Benaniah, and Abiathar. We're just jumping into a list of all the different cabinet members that David had uh, helping him rule. But I want you to notice what it says in the, at the end of verse 34. And the general of the king's army was Joab. Joab was the general of the army. How did Joab get to that place where he was leading and he was in charge? You're there in 1 Chronicles 27. Flip back to 1 Chronicles chapter number 11. You're in chapter 27, same book, chapter number uh, 11. I know we're going we're to look at a lot of Bible tonight, uh, so that's why we call it Bible study. All right? 1 Chronicles chapter 11, look at verse 3. You're there in chapter 27 to go to chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, look at verse 3. Uh, verse 3. 1 Chronicles 11, 3. Therefore came all the elders of Israel to the king to Hebron. 
And David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem. So David just became king here in First Chronicles chapter 11, and they're going to Jerusalem. Obviously, you know Jerusalem. It's a, it's a very well-known, famous uh, city for the nation of Israel, but at this point, it's not yet a nation of Israel. They went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. Up until this point, the Jebusites were living in this city called Jebus or Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of, uh, the castle of Zion, which is the city of David, and David said. So he goes to Jebus. The Jebusites say, You're not coming here. Notice verse 6. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So he, he puts this challenge. He, said, he says, I want Jerusalem as my capital, so whoever goes and takes it first, I'll make them chief and captain. I'll make them the general. I'll make them in charge. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. And David dwelt in the castle, therefore they called it the city of David. Here's what I want you to understand, and, and, and we'll see it a little more as we continue. Joab was a man that got results. Joab was a man that got the job done. Jo Joab had some moral issues, but he was productive. And here's what I want you to say. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel. You can lose your place in 1 Chronicles. Go with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. In the New Testament, you got 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now do me a favor. When you get to Colossians, put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to Colossians. Uh, we're actually going to come back to Philippians, but it's right before Colossians, so I want you to be able to get there. Colossians chapter number 3. Here's a point. Joab was a man that got results. Joab was a man that was also out of control. And Joab was not corrected by David because of the fact that he got results. See, David, to some extent, was a respecter of persons. He allowed Joab to get away with more than he might allow other people because Joab was getting the job done. Because Joab was just getting it done, because he was bringing results, because he was doing, you know, because uh, uh, he was he was bringing, he was winning battles, he was uh, helping the kingdom con to continue. You're there in Colossians three. Uh, look at verse number twenty-five. Colossians three and verse twenty-five. Notice what the Bible says. This this verse, uh, you know, uh, somebody should have taken this verse to David. And obviously, the New Testament wasn't written, but this applies well to the situation with Job. Colossians chapter three, verse twenty-five. Notice what it says. But he that doeth wrong. But he that doeth wrong, Abner, shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. See, in our lives, and, 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 and in your life and in my life, as God allows us to be in leadership positions, we need to be very careful that we do not become respecter of persons, especially based on the fact, and we allow people to get away with stuff because they get results. And, you know, the most common place that you might see this applied is in the workplace. I mean, we've all worked in that place where you've got, you know, that guy and he mouths off to the boss and he's a jerk and he's rebellious and he shows up late and he leaves early and you wonder why nobody fires him, but they don't fire him because he makes money for the company. And you think, well, that's good, but listen to me, that's not the way Christians ought to be. Even in, in church world, you know, many churches will have, 
church members, and we don't have this here, but, you know, many churches will have church members that will be just complete drunkards or fornicators or whatever, living in all sorts of sin, but the pastor won't ever, you know, go deal with them or go talk to them or, 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 or try to help them or anything. Why? Because maybe they give a lot or maybe they produce a lot or maybe they bring a lot of people to church. But listen, leadership never works when you make exceptions for those that uh, produce results. And whether it's your children or whether it's your employers or whether it's a church member, it's always a bad idea. It's always a bad idea to allow people to just get, you know, get away with more because they produce more, uh, because they produce results. Joab was out of control because he got results for David. Joab killed Abner, and, and David makes a big deal about it. He says, I had nothing to do with this. I did not want this to happen. It, it was totally Joab, but he never corrected him. He never corrected him because he got results. Now, this is just the beginning of Joab's life. Let me show you other areas where he was uh, completely out of control. Go back to 2 Samuel. Keep your place in, in, in Colossians, all right? Make sure you're able to get there. Go to, uh, Colossians, uh, go, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me show you other areas where he was in control, out of control. 2 Samuel, and I'm sorry, don't, don't go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 18. 2 Samuel chapter number 18, and look at verse number 5. Not only did Joab kill Abner... But Joab also killed Absalom. 2 Samuel chapter number 18, and look at verse number 5. Remember when David was going to fight his son, Absalom, when they were having that civil war? 2 Samuel 18, 5, the Bible says this, And the king, that's David, commanded Joab. Do you see that? He gave him an order. Now, whether it was the right order or not, it was an order nonetheless. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, notice what he's saying. This was a command. This was an order. Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. He gave him specific instructions. I want you to deal gently with Absalom. What does Joab does? Well, Joab does what he always does. He just does whatever he wants. Look down at verse 14. 2 Samuel chapter 18. Look at verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 14. Then said Joab. I may not tarry thus with thee. He's speaking to one of his servants. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor, these are Joab's assistants, they're the ones that are there to help him. Ten young men that bear Joab's armor compass about and smote Absalom and slew him. So I want you to understand something. David specifically said, deal gently with the young man. Don't put him to death. I want you to be gentle with him. And then Abs and, 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 and Joab here has the, I mean, Absalom is caught by a tree, you know, by his head. He definitely has the opportunity to take him down and capture him and bring him to David. But what does he do? He does what he wants to do. He does what he thinks is right. He's out of control. He kills Absalom. He kills Abner. Notice who, uh, uh, who, who else he killed. You're there in... Uh, 2 Samuel 18, flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter number 19. In 2 Samuel 19, we have the war with Absalom's done. David is now coming back as being king. David has heard, or he's been made aware, that the one who took the life of his son Absalom was Joab, yet he doesn't correct him, yet he doesn't confront him. But here's what he does do. He replaces him. 2 Samuel 19, look at verse 13. This is David speaking. And say ye to Amasa. Now, Amasa, just so you understand, I know I'm giving you a lot of information. Amasa 
was the general for Absalom. Okay, so you got Abner, who was a general for Saul. Joab was a general for David. Joab killed Abner. Joab kills Absalom. And then Amasa, who was a general for Absalom, now joins the group, now becomes a part of the group for, for David. And notice what David does, verse 13. And say ye to Amasa, art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? Because they were both from the same tribe of Judah. God do so to me, and more also, notice what David says to Amasa, if thou be not captain of the host before me, continually, notice what he says, in the room of Joab. He's saying, I'm going to have you, Amasa, replace Joab. He said, I don't want Joab as being the general anymore. I want Amasa to be the general. So what does Joab do about that? Well, look at chapter 20 and verse 4. Chapter 20 and verse 4. Amasa, Amasa becomes the general. Amasa takes the job of Joab. Amasa gets his first order in chapter 4 and verse 20. Notice what David says. Then said the king, David, to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou here present. And Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. So David said, I need the men ready to go in three days. I need it done in three days. Go get all the military together because we cannot let Sheba get away. It's got, we have to fix this and deal with this rebellion now. But Amasa tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. Look at verse 6. And David said to Abishai, Now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou, he's talking to Abishai, thy Lord's servants, and pursue after him, talking about Sheba, who's leading the insurrection, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. Notice verse 7. And there went out after him Joab's men, and the Carathites, and the Pelathites, and all the mighty men. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the great stone, which is in Gibeon, notice Amasa went before them. So Amasa's running late. But Amasa, you know, catches up to them, and he goes before them. And Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him, and upon it a girdle with a sword. A girdle's like a, like a belt, and he had a sword fastened upon his loins and the sheath thereof. And he went forth, and, uh, and, and he went forth, it fell out. Notice verse 9. And Joab said to Amasa, now, this is quite a question to ask somebody right before you kill them. Art thou in health, my brother? How's your health? Looks like you're not going to make it. And Joab took a mesa. Notice, and Joab took a mesa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. Remember, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. Therewith, uh, uh, to kiss him. Notice verse 10, but a mesa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. Mesa didn't notice. He had a sword in his hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground. His bowels actually come out of the man and struck him not again, and he died. So Joab, Abishai, so Joab and Abishai's brother pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. So here we have it. Joab has killed Abner, who David did not want killed. Joab has killed Absalom, who David did not want killed. Joab has killed Amasa who David does not want killed. Basically, if your name starts with an A, you want to be real careful around Joab. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's like a, the first serial killer. He's killing people uh, with, with names that start with an A. But notice the result. Look at verse 14. 2 Samuel 20, look at verse 14. And he, this is Joab. I want you to notice. He gets results. Notice what he does. And he, Joab, went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Bethmeacah and all the, uh, the Berites, and they were gathered together. So uh, they were gathered together and went also after him. So I want you to understand what's happening here, okay? 
David gives Amasa a job. He says, you have three days to gather all the people together. You don't have to do anything else. You just have to gather all the people together in three days. Amasa fails to do that. Joab then just goes to fight the battle without the people. But on his way to fight the battle, he does what Amasa was supposed to do. He, gathered all, he went through all the tribes of Israel, and they were all gathered together. This guy gets results. This guy gets the job done. But he's also out of control. And David won't correct him. David won't confront him. And notice, notice the result. He's like, he goes to Mesa. What, what happens? Well, here's what happens. He gets his job back. Look at verse 23. 2 Samuel 20, verse 23. Now Joab was over all the host of Israel. He got his job back. He's a general again. And Benani, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Carathites and the Palatites. You say, well, why was David? We saw when, when Joab killed Abner, we saw that he was out of control and he did not get corrected because he got results. And the guy does get results. But what, what, what's, what's the other reason? I mean, then he goes and he kills Absalom. That's David's son. Then he goes and he kills Amasa, who David just put in a leadership position. Why will David not correct Joab? And here's the reason. Go to chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And look at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And verse number one. I know we're looking at a lot of passages, but there's a lot in the life of Joab. I'm, I'm giving you a lot of context and input, and we're going to make an application here in a second. Second Samuel chapter 11, look at verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, you know the story, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. Kings were supposed to go to battle, but David decided, I'll just send Joab. And his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house, and the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. You're familiar with the story. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. She conceives. He tries to hide it. He sends for Uriah the Hittite, who's one of his men who's in battle. He brings him. He says, Joab, bring Uriah so he can give me an update. And he brings him, and Uriah gives him an update, and, jo and David is expecting him to then go and be at home and be with his wife so that he can cover up the fact that, the, the, that she's with child now, and it's by, you know, they can say, well, it's because Uriah came home, and that's why she's with child, and it won't be found out that he committed adultery with her. But Uriah has more integrity than David, and he refuses to go back. To his, to his wife. He says, he says, how can I go and, and be with my wife while the men, the rest of the men are out in camp, while, 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 while they're out there, you know, laying under the stars? How could I? And he refuses to go. David tries to get him drunk, and he still refuses to go. So finally, David does the unthinkable. Verse 14. I know you're familiar with the story, but I want you to look at it. 2 Samuel 11, look at verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David, notice, wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, 
that, ye may be, that he may be smitten and die. I want you to understand what's going on here. David takes his pen and he writes a letter and he gives that letter to Uriah. And he has so much confidence and trustworthiness in, in Uriah that he can trust Uriah to deliver his own death warrant knowing that Uriah will never open that letter and read it. And that letter comes to Joab. And Joab reads that letter. I mean, could you imagine Uriah coming back? Hey, Uriah, how you doing? How was your trip? Good, Joab. It was great. David wanted me to give you this. Joab takes the letter, opens it up, begins to read it. Looks up, watching Uriah walking away from him. Reading a letter that basically tells him to kill Uriah. I'm sure Joab had to have questioned what this was about. But Joab, being a man with not much moral compass anyway, goes ahead and does what David asked him to do. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell, the same of the, uh, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. I want you to go, go back to, did you keep your place in Colossians? Go back one book into the book of Philippians. And I want you to understand what's going on here. Joab gets a letter by Uriah saying, kill Uriah. And I'm sure Joab was thinking to himself, I don't know what Uriah did. Maybe he's a traitor. Maybe he's a spy. Maybe he's done something that's worthy of death. And, Joab, and David needs to not bring it out in the public. Maybe David wants him to die within the battle so it just looks like he died, but maybe David knows something about him and, and instead of uh, you know, publicly executing him uh, because of it, you know, I, I don't know what Joab was thinking, but he's thinking, himself, I'm sure David has a reason why he wants this done, so Joab goes to get it and does it. But could you imagine, could you imagine what Joab must have thought when he gets back to Jerusalem after the battle and now Bathsheba's pregnant and she's married to David. Joab starts connecting the dots. And Joab starts realizing that that letter, that letter that David sent was there and was sent and it, he was involved in the murder of Uriah to cover up David's sin. And see, now Joab has a letter on David. So when Joab decides he wants to mouth off to David, David doesn't correct him. So when Joab decides, in fact, let me give you another example. Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Look at verse number, let's see where I want you to go. 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse number 26. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 26. This is after the battle. This is after the battle that David should have been at when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter number 12, look at verse 26. And Joab fought against Rabah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabah and have taken the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city. He's, tell, he's, he's telling David, he's commanding David, gather the rest of the people together and, take, and, uh, and, and, and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. He's mouthing off to David saying, you get your rear end over here and you finish this job now or I'm going to do it and, they're gonna, and, and, and I'm going to be in charge. 
And he's mouthing. And here's and the thing. You say, well, why would, why would David put up with a general who's mouthing up to him? Because here's the thing. When Joab just disrespects him, when Joab just mouths off to him, David doesn't correct him. David, he may make a big deal about the fact that he doesn't agree with it. He may make a big deal about the fact that he's not for what Joab is doing. But he never confronts him and he never corrects him because Joab has a letter on David. So when Joab decides to kill Absalom, David doesn't correct him because Joab has a letter on David. So when Joab decides to kill Amasa, he never corrects it because Joab has a letter on David. See, here, here's the point that I'm trying to make. As leaders, as leaders, we always have to take the high road. As leaders, we must always have the moral authority to be able to confront and, cor and correct those that are following us. But when we lose our moral authority, we hinder our leading ability. When we lose our moral authority, we hinder our leading ability. See, some of you husbands have wives, and you don't understand why they won't submit, and you don't understand why they just keep mouthing off to you. And you don't understand why they won't respect you. And you don't understand. But see, what you don't understand that you guys, some of you have a wife that has a letter on you. And they've got your number. And they know your sin. And a long time ago, you decided to not take the high road. And to not have the moral authority. And whether it was adultery or pornography or gambling or drugs or alcohol or cheating or stealing or whatever it was, you lost respect. And when you lost your moral authority, it hindered your leading ability. See, some of you have teenagers, and you can't get their heart. And they won't listen to you, and they don't respect you, and you think it's this reason, and you think it's that reason, and you think it's everything else, and you don't realize that that teenager has a letter on you. And a long time ago, you lost your moral authority. And when you lost your moral authority, you lost your leading ability to correct and to confront. Say, so why does Joab just get away with murder? Literally. Because he had a leader who could not correct him, who could not confront him, who could not go to him. Because at the end of the day, David, don't talk to me about integrity. David, don't talk to me about doing right. I've got a letter on you. I, I, I remember when you lied. Remember when you killed. Remember when you covered it up. See, when we lose our moral authority, we hinder our leading ability. So, well, what should we strive for? You're there in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, notice what the Bible says. In Philippians 2.15, the Bible says this, that ye may be blameless. That ye may be blameless. That's the same word that's used for the pastoral qualifications. The word blameless doesn't mean perfect. The word blameless doesn't mean without sin. We all sin. We all make mistakes. But the word blameless means that you've taken the high road, that you've maintained your moral authority, that you've lived above reproach. No, in fact, he says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among 
whom ye shine as lights in the world. He says, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation and in the midst of that culture and in the midst of that society where everyone's committing adultery, where everyone is doing wrong, where no one is doing right, where they're all lying and they all lack integrity. He says, we've been called to live blamelessly. We've been called to live above rebuke, above reproach, to maintain our moral uh, authority. Why? That we may have an influence on those that follow us. But when you lose your moral authority, you hinder your leading ability. Jesus illustrated this in the book of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 7. We're almost done. There's only really one point to this sermon. Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. Look down at verse number 3. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 3. Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 3. Jesus put it this way. He said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, or to thy sister, or to thy wife, or to thy children, or to thy church members, or to thy employees, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Because here's what Jesus was trying to teach. He said, we all have issues and we all have problems, but before you go and deal with the moat that's in your brother's eye, make sure before David can go and deal with the moat in Joab's eye, he has to deal with the beam that is in his own eye. Because here's what Jesus understood. When you lose your moral authority, it hinders your leading ability. Your influence ability. Your ability to correct and confront in love. Just earlier today, I was listening to a, a sermon. There's a sermon by, some of you know, Pastor Larry Brown. I think he's from Iowa. And uh, I was listening to a sermon by Larry Brown. He was, Larry Brown, pastors, I think he's retired now, but he pastors a large church in, uh, in, in Iowa. But he grew up in North Carolina. He grew up in Bobby Robertson's church, Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. And he was telling the story about his father. He grew up in that church as a child and his father was there under the ministry of Bobby Robertson. And he told the story that his father had a friend who got saved and started coming to church and got connected in, in, in church. And he was there for a while. And after a while, he, he, he kind of noticed that he wasn't coming as consistently, and he was kind of missing services. And, and then he just stopped coming altogether, and he'd go visit his friend. His friend seemed fine. His friend, they'd talk about the Lord, and his friend, he could tell his friend was reading the Bible. This man owned a mechanic shop, and there would be even times when uh, someone would come in to get their car worked on, and there was an unsaved person, and he would call Larry Brown's dad, his friend, would call him and say, hey, come help me get this person saved. And Larry Brown's father sat his friend down and he said, listen to me, you got to explain to me, because, I mean, you're not backslidden. I mean, you're reading the Bible with your family and you're loving the Lord. You call me over here to get the gospel to your, uh, your, your clients and your employees. Why won't you come to church? What happened? And he'd say, I, you know, I don't want to talk about it. And, and he said, no, you, you, you got to tell me, what, what happened? Why won't you come to church? And he said, he said, let me tell you a story. Several months ago, I had a guy from the church come down, and he said to me, he said, the transmission you put in my car is not working. I think you should stand by your word. I, should, I think you should stand by your word and fix it. And the man responded and said, I'd be happy to do that. 
I won't just do that just because you're a church member. I do that for anybody. If I put work on someone's car and it doesn't work, I'll, I'll be happy to stand by my work. But could, we, could, could you do something for me? And he said, what? Could you pay me for the first one? Man never paid him. He was complaining about the transmission. He said, you didn't even pay me for the first one. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and fix the transmission because I don't want you going around town telling people that I don't stand by my work. But I think you should pay me for the work that I did. Never got a cent. And he told, he told his friend, he said, I, I find it difficult to go to church and see that guy in an usher's coat, walk down an aisle with an offering plate, with a smile on his face, handing it, you know, putting it in my stomach, expecting me to put money in the offering plate, when I know this guy has stolen and robbed from me. Now listen to me very carefully. I, I don't think that it's right for an entire church to be judged over the you know, lying and stealing of one individual, but the point is the same. When we as a church family, when we as Christians lose the moral authority, I just think Christians ought to pay their bills on time. I just think if anybody in this community ought to have a testimony of having integrity and, and working hard and, and, and not being late, and, 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 and look, at work, you better make sure that you are there on time. You're not taking extra breaks. You're not stealing from the boss. You say, why? Because when you lose your moral authority, you lose your ability to lead and influence others. And you wonder why, you wonder why I, tell, I, tell, I invite our co-workers, I invite them to church, and they, they kind of just laugh at me. You say, why is that? Maybe it's because they know you're a liar. Maybe it's because they know that you're lazy. Maybe it's because they know that you only work when the boss is around. And you're taking all sorts of break, and you're coming in late, and you're leaving early, and you're taking extra. I'm just trying to explain to you, when we lose our moral authority, we also hinder our ability to lead, to influence, to confront, and to correct. God called us to live a blameless life. Let me give you one more passage. We'll be done. Matthew chapter 5. If you're there in Matthew 7, just a couple of chapters back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. You say, well, what do I do? What do I do about it? See, David got right with God, no doubt about it. David got right with the Lord. Read, read the book of Psalms. And he cried out to God, and he repented. But you know, David's problem with Bathsheba is not that he didn't get it right with God because he did get it right with God. David's problem with Bathsheba is that he never got it right with Joab. And he never got it right with Absalom. And he never got it right with his other sons. He got it right with God, but he didn't get it right with anybody else. See, some of you, some of you need to go home. And have a talk with your wife. Or have a talk with your son. Or have a talk with your daughter. And say, you, you, you've got a letter out on me. And I just want to tell you, I, I was wrong. And that was sin. And, and, and it shouldn't have happened. But I want to tear up that letter. Because I don't want you having a letter to hold over me. Like Joab had for David. Are you there in Matthew chapter 5? Look at verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. 
See, it's not enough to make it right between us and God. We have to make it right with other people. It's not enough to make it right with God. We have to go to those who may have a letter on us and make it right. And let me say this. It's not enough to just say, I'm sorry, either. Sometimes I'll correct our children, and we'll correct our children. They'll say, I'm sorry. My wife and I will say, quit saying I'm sorry and just quit doing it. The Bible says, confess and forsake. It's not just enough to say, I'm sorry. There has to be a repent. At some point, you just got to quit doing it. And see, what David needed to do, what David needed to do was go to Joab and say, Joab, I did wrong. I, I involved you in my sin. You've got a letter out on me, but I want to make it right. And see, if David would have fixed his moral authority issue with Joab, he wouldn't have had a leading ability issue with Joab. And sometimes you and sometimes I scratch our heads and we say, why, why can't I get so-and-so to follow me? Why can't I get so-and-so to lead me? Why can't I get so-and-so to respect me? Why can't I get so Why are they so rude? Why, why, why won't they just follow the orders? And it's usually, sometimes, because they've got a letter out on you and me. And Joab was running amok, out of control, getting away with murder, literally. And it wasn't until Solomon, it wasn't until Solomon became king that Joab was taken to justice because he didn't have a letter on Solomon, but he had one on David. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use this challenge in the hearts of all of us. Lord, realizing that sometimes, sometimes we as parents do need to go to our children and apologize. Sometimes we correct them, but it's not in the right spirit. We're even warned in scripture about not provoking our children to wrath. And just because we're the leader doesn't mean we're always right. And sometimes we have to go to our children and say, Daddy was wrong. Shouldn't have spoke to you that way. Sometimes we need to go to our spouse and say, I'm sorry. I'm not just going to confess this. I'm going to forsake it. There may be a church member here. And we've become a stumbling block to them. Because they've got a letter out on us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to take the admonition from Matthew 5. And to go make it right. Not just with God, but with our brother. Lord, help us to the best of our ability to live blamelessly above rebuke, above reproach, to keep a testimony to the best of our ability that we're trying to do right, that we're trying to live right, that we might not hinder our influence. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen.